Mr. Nice Guy, I'm Ben Slowey, and boy, I'm happy to uh, be doing this episode because one of the most important people in my life is on the show. Dana Samuels is uh, visiting uh, all the way home from uh, LA, and uh, yeah, they're a really close friend of mine uh, at, uh, in the Jewish student life at Hillel. Uh, we are companions, and um, uh, they're here to uh, help uh, break down the system. Uh, with me today. Uh, That's on me, this I'm the boy. Yes. You are, <laughs> yeah, you will, well, you are, um, you have always been um, one of the, one of the most, like, insightful people in, in, like, checking other people around you. Yeah. But you do it without a love and compassion, yeah, which is important. Like, so, I don't know, like, if you let people around you be shitty, like, you're also a shitty person. Mm hmm. And they're like, and the more empathy one approaches in, like being like, yo, like you should check yourself, mm -hmm. you know, the more receptive people usually are to it, and you've always done that. Um, so uh, it's like compassion and empathy. Like if you don't have, like, I have the personal belief that we all as human beings are capable of this really radical empathy. Like you look at the technology in your pocket, the rare earth. Uh, metals that are in it and the mining that went into it and the exploitation of the workers and the whole process of getting this phone into your pocket yep. like is filled with so much exploitation and there's slavery and if we were to feel the empathy that we are capable of as human beings every time we looked at our technology we would be undone mm -hmm. and like we shut that off and we continue to live our lives as if like this isn't like with with our empathy shut off. Yeah. We're capable of so much more. Oh, totally. And like the more you tap into that, the more you like see the people happening around you and it's I'm not saying like oh you're a bad person because you said XYZ. It's like I see that like you are a person who has compassion. I see you're a person who has empathy and you can tap into that more. Mm -hmm. Like I want to assist you in doing that because I want you to be a good person. I know you yeah. want to be a good person as well. And that is amazing and beautiful. <laughs> that's why I, and that's what I love about you so much so uh welcome to the show and also uh w welcome back uh for the couple days you're here um i know that uh your partner is here uh, shout yeah. out audrey hi audrey i haven't met you yet but i'd love to at some point i love your fruit videos you're great and i love you too <laughs> um yeah for sure oh, it's a good time good. your focus uh, like in at halal you brought a lot of understanding with like so you intersected uh, social justice within your Judaism mm -hmm. and also um, LGBTQ plus uh, issues um, yeah. that you brought also into the space and helped us kind of, um, I, I feel like you brought a really like amazing um, dimension of like understanding oppressed communities into a religious circle, uh, which is something that, you know, we don't have nearly enough of in this world <laughs> in, in, in any sense. And, um, you know, we have a couple organizations that do that. Uh, shout out Zao, Zao MKE, uh, congrats on your new space, um, that also do that, but, but not nearly enough. So, um, so that's why like, I just love and respect and admire you so much, uh, because it's not an easy thing to do. Um, yeah. especially when 
you know, so much of us are so much of people that, um, you know, grew up with privilege or they grew up in bubbles. They just grew up with, you know, sort of only understanding their immediate surroundings. They just don't have that, um, they just don't have that like knowledge yeah. or, um, to properly demonstrate allyship. Yeah. And it's like Judaism is a, not only like a religion, but like it's centered around not only defiance of the norm, um, especially like against God. That's something I've been talking about a lot with like folks is that like so much of our text is about like standing up to God and saying like, like, no, you're doing a bad thing. God, like, I see what you're doing. I don't approve like whatever. Um, but it's based around justice and like building a more just and ethical world. Right. Um, questioning things. Questioning, like yeah. there's no answers. We don't have answers in Judaism. We just have more questions. Yeah. And we just like our our the legacy that we've been handed as Jews is this like is thousands of years of canonical text of people arguing about other texts. Yeah. And about right. life. Um, right. And like if you if you're not bringing like okay so it's like. After the Holocaust, there are a few main branches to which the Jewish community went. One is Zionism, which is like arguably terrible, you know, or In, more than arguably yeah, terrible, right. and like bases bases like ethno, um, like the ethno state. Right. The way bases, bases bases Judaism around an ethno state and around like right. ethnocentric. So, and you definitely like expanded the conversation, which. I will say is miles ahead of where it was at the time when we were both in college. Mm -hmm. Like people are beginning to, especially um, in such spaces as Hillel, which uh, designed to be like, you know, spaces open to all Jews, which is, it just it, it didn't used to, like, it's getting better. It still has work to do, but it is getting better, I, yeah. depending on the campus. But, I mean, ours at least has gotten, has improved a lot with, like, how we talk about our Judaism as it relates to Israel, or more importantly, in your case, where it like doesn't. Like, literally, where yeah, it doesn't. Like where it just is Judaism. Like, Judaism but is like, for so yeah. like, thousands of years without Israel. And, like, the thing is, like, yeah, and... Like I want, I want to participate in Judaism. That I, I want, I want to participate in Judaism and Jewish community. That is not about, not about Israel. That is that that is fulfilling. That is spiritually, emotionally, um, and even physically fulfilling to Jews who live in the diaspora. Yeah. Um, that is informing our lives and the justice work we do, and does inform our anti-Zionism as well. Involves our like it involves our our like our striving for justice, mm -hmm. but also can just be our quiet lives. That like in the radicalness of like being home and being in the self and being in the small community and being in the local. Right. What can that Judaism look like? What can that Judaism look like in an interfaith setting? Yeah. I. I really try to stay away from like having conversations about Israel because that's not like my thing. And also it puts me in a space of like trying to prove myself as a good enough anti-Zionist or a good enough Jew. There's never going to be a good enough Jew. Right. Well, and so I think that's another part of it is that people seem to always be curious how Jews, like it's such a like, um, it's almost like a, um, like a, like a given that we're going to be expected to talk about Israel just because we're Jews. We like from like with my own Judaism, like I feel like I'm, I mean, I'm pretty much like a secular humanist. I'm not like really religious at all. Like I don't 
you know, the, the dogmatic principle of religion just never really, like, meant much to me. I, I, I identify more with, like, just being a good person. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, also Jewish atheism is as old as yeah. Judaism itself. And I really just feel like, you know, it's like I, for even for Jews that want to, that do want to, like, connect with Israel, like, it's so hard these days because I just, none of the just the politics and just the government and I just don't feel like Israel and its politics and its administration like at least how it currently is just does not it does not align with my beliefs and what it means to be a good person mm-hmm. that you know sees that mm-hmm. uh, sees like not only equality but equity specifically as you know an essential component to you know, I don't even think I don't even think Israel thinks that Judaism is a isn't like and the ways that like taking Jewish ethics into account, taking Jewish law into account that's beyond like really right wing orthodoxy. Yeah. Like I don't think Israel has Judaism in mind. Oh, I really it doesn't. Don't. I don't think it. It's it it's all power. It's it's yeah. it's power, which is. Um, kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation where like we were discussing um you know empathy like approaching with empathy and also like why oppression occurs in the first place and um and you know I'm I'm no historian but if I were to kind of logically like break it down I'd say that like we as human beings we crave control we crave control mm. over our a sense of control gives us some sort of uh, peace with our being. I think that is really interesting. And I, I think, don't believe that. Well, I think that control, that sense of control, you know, we, you know, we've been so. Uh, I think that in throughout history, we've externalized that sense of control, and that's and that takes a form of power over mm-hmm. others and I think that's inherently linked with like toxic masculinity and colonialism I don't think that's innate to human nature I do not think that's human nature why do you think toxic masculinity and nature and and uh, colonialism occurred in the first place I think it comes I think it's 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 patriarchy it's this it's a model that was built of uh, of power of the few because I think it is inherent like there's like a there's, there's an inclination towards towards selfishness and letting that run rampant becomes control. Letting that run rampant becomes colonialism without the checks and balances well, of, right. a community, yeah. Yeah. of a community. Like selfishness is, I can say 100%, selfishness is a part of human nature. It's a part of like all the nature of all things to want to live and succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, but letting a small few take, really take hold of that selfishness and build systems of power around that becomes what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, and it is human nature to want a sense of control. Like, that is psychology. Like, that's why when we... Anxiety stems from a perceived lack of control. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just, like, it's it hasn't been taught, grow, like, growing up. Like, it hasn't been normalized for us to really look inwardly and properly communicate our emotions um specifically men men especially are not good at that um and i think that's kind of how the patriarchy 
was established was because it was that select few um, that created the system and it, it snowballed into yeah. us not us being isolated from each other and especially men not being able to talk about emotions and and things um, right and because and I, and that toxic masculinity as a result has made men even further like you it's know, again it's like a snowball yeah exactly it's just it's just um, you know evolved into where we are now mm-hmm. where like um, you know us men you know in our circles our communities our society our media our everything like men are so used to uh being having power having being authority. yeah being able to have power authority over getting, others yeah get, you know um yeah exactly like being able to having some sort of influence over their surroundings and also being able to and being used to dominating a space and mm-hmm. we're at finally at a point where you know we you know there's never enough work that can be done but we're at least talking about it and circles are doing their work to undo it um and because you are trans mask mm-hmm. you know, um you you and i have talked about how toxic masculinity uh how it um, manifests in mm-hmm. ourselves mm-hmm. and i think it's interesting that you as somebody who is trans mask like how you you're already you you are identifying your own experience with oh it. yeah no like being on testosterone i am angry so much more often i definitely thought that was like oh that's just like trans guys letting themselves like be terrible toxic men and like you know whatever but like now that i'm on it i'm like oh fuck like i am like my first instinct is to like i i feel like the like, now that I've deconstructed it, it's, like, a fear, anxiety, and that turns into anger. And, like, being able to, like, take a step back yeah. and be, like, what am I actually feeling? And, like, I'm imagining, like, 13-year-olds who have no emotional competence, who have not been taught to, like, do these things. And, like, I cannot imagine what puberty was like for you as, like, a teenager. Like, the, ew. So sorry you had to deal with that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was, for one, like, I was just, uh... An emotional travesty at 14, 15. Yeah, like I'm an emotional travesty at 22. I cannot, I cannot imagine. What combining, that. like, yeah, combining, like, adolescent boy puberty. With uh, also this, like, propensity that, like, we say that boys are just unchecked. Like, yeah. little, like, the young people who are perceived to be boys um, are allowed to get away, they get away with so much. Oh yeah, I, like we were, my my friends and I, we were trash. Like looking, like yeah, we were- let you be trash. Right. Like, boys will be boys. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> yeah, and like, and um, you know, it's, it makes me curious what it's like to, now that we are having conversations about, like, you know, especially with, um, with, talking about the patriarchy and toxic masculinity and also um, the, the conversation as, as it's evolved about uh, sexual misconduct and sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. I wonder what it's like to be a boy growing up at that age, around 14, 15 now, where that conversation is expanded. I wonder I'm what's still there. I'm more excited for like our kids, you know? Yeah. Our kids. Oh, of course. Without it's question. It's going to be so... Yeah. I don't, like, I'm it's going to be much better, sorry. but I feel like it's just so ingrained that there's still going to be so much that isn't done by the time we are having kids. 
Um, it's never gonna be enough. I'm I know. just sad. It just makes me sad. Yeah. So, like, being like a guy that is very emotional, like I was combined with that, you know, that testosterone, that puberty when I was like 14, that 15. Hot, hot puberty. Oh God, I was, I was like a fucking emotion. I was very emotionally unstable, and like I would eventually like grow up to address mental health issues to learn I am a borderline personality. Um, that it kind of like made sense of sorts. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, but you know, by all means, like that doesn't excuse, you know, the, the behaviors yeah. that, um, not only myself, but my friends, yeah. um, yeah. pretty much most men I knew engaged in. Yeah. I don't know. For me, like engaging with my masculinity now, um, I'm trying to like identify where I'm like taking up so much or taking up space. Am I like talking over um, women and and other non men more? People, who, um, am I um, not only taking up? Am I talking as a white? Same as a white person. Like, am I taking up space? Am I lending right. the floor? Passing to, the mic. Am I passing the mic yeah. to the people who need it? Um, where I'm being handed the mic unfairly over and over and over again. Am I taking the mic from people? Um, but I think the most fun for me has been identifying my non-toxic masculine traits. Like, wanting to caretake, wanting, like, understanding, like, butchness, um, in, like, my masculinity through the lens of butchness and, like, wanting to, like, do nice things for people mm -hmm. and, like, wanting to, to provide not out of a sense of, like, I need to be the provider and I need to have control over what's happening in, with the people in my life, but, like, as a form of gift giving and as yeah. a love language, my, one, my biggest love language is gift giving. It's been a, <laughs> an adjustment in my relationships. Did you give me anything? I did not give oh, anything. Hey, you got your your gift was being on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, it's only one of my love languages. Oh, it, it, um, right. but like non toxic masculine traits that I've been I've been enjoying exploring are like being able to get around without a map. Oh yeah. The like the stereotype of like the dad is like I'm not gonna pull over. I'm not gonna ask for directions. Like. I don't need to be like toxic about it and be like I'm not gonna ask for direction, I'm not gonna ask for help because I will ask for help when I need it. But like being self-sufficient and getting around on my own and being able to like do that without a map mm -hmm. is so much fun. And I'm as as a transmasculine person, I'm claiming that to be part of my masculinity. That's um, interesting because I I wonder like because I've always been really really good with directions. Um, like what if what would it look like to claim that as like non-toxic masculinity and being able to like give directions to people and like be helpful to your community yeah. and like that being a part of masculinity. It always amazed me how bad people are with streets and stuff. It's, yeah, and like once I learned <laughs> it, like I, I drove, I drove for uh, the Uber service on campus, um, I did Uber for like a hot second there, like living without a smartphone in college. Right, you had the flip phone. I had my flip phone. I re and then I switched to like the tiny smartphone that like wasn't good for me. Now I'm on a regular smartphone, much to my own chagrin. Um, and I don't know, like, I'm trying to think about, like, other positively masculine things that I'm hearing. Like, being, being strong, not for, like, the purpose of having power over people or being, like, I have the power to beat you up. I have the power to, like, exert my dominance over right. you with my physicality. But being strong in not only physically, but emotionally and, and, totally. and like, being able to uphold and, like, lift up others in, in lots of ways is a um another part of like and that's awesome that i'm trying to like yeah. adopt and and be conscious of totally um, that's beautiful 
Um, I'm happy that you are. I'm glad. No, I'm glad that you're like breaking it down so much. Like I, I think that yeah, and you know, I attribute this to how boys and men are portrayed in mm-hmm. our media. But anger is the most easily accessible emotion, and us men are so like we we like to um, uh, exert force because it's so accessible to us and because we are not it's never been emphasized for us to like break down our emotions in a in a rational way so our like and i like and i like i still deal with this there will still be times where i get really really fucking pissed off and it's like that and i want to punch a wall and it's like that whole joke about it's that whole like joke that went around about how like oh yeah like 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 white men punching walls and stuff. I don't know. Like, I think I punched a wall once. I punched a wall once when I was 13 years, 14 years old. I got so angry and I punched a wall. I hit a stud. I almost broke my hand. Oh, yikes. Yeah. I didn't end up putting a hole in the wall and I was like, that's not worth it yeah. anymore. I don't need to punch walls right, anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm more, I always kicked things before I punched them. Mm-hmm. But point being, like, um, there will still be times where something will really piss me off. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck, like, I'm so mad. I wanna, I wanna punch that person in the face. But it's like, why do you want? Like, it's like, what is? What's the point of the physical violence? I think that it's not gonna, it's not gonna like solve anything. It's not. It's only gonna make that other person more reactive against me, and it's gonna make and it's gonna make me, your life worse. Right. It's gonna yeah. make everything worse. So like, yeah. what's the point? You know. Um, and I think that like, anger is, I think, a really great emotion for turning us towards problem solving like mm-hmm. for me i would rather be mad than sad because when i'm sad it's a spiral of feeling bad and right. noticing all the bad in the world when i'm despondence mad, and yeah. yeah when i'm mad about something i'm seeing all the things that are wrong and i'm trying to fix them because i don't want to feel like this anymore i don't want to have to like when i'm sad it's like i don't want to feel sad anymore what's going to do that like making me happy but like all these things are sad when i'm mad the solution is not happiness the solution is justice yeah and I think that's that's I think that's something that is also really really rich in Jewish culture. It's like weird, like, like the the stereotypes of like the angry Jews, or the stereotype, especially like angry Jewish women and like Jewish men yelling. You look at like everyone is talking about Bernie Sanders yelling and like why is this white man yelling? It's like I don't know. He's talking like a Jew. He's mad. He has like he has reasons to be angry right. and he's expressing them the way that Jews in our communities have been taught to which is all of us get riled up the neuroticism that is associated with Jews I don't, I don't even think it's neuroticism I think it's like we are passionate people we are passionate people who says things are wrong let's get them fixed and we like argue about it for a while it's like two Jews three opinions so well by neuroticism I mean like the, the stereotypical like crazy Jewish mom mm-hmm. is what I like where like Jews worry Jewish about Jews? everything and and but by like, why are why are why are the Jewish moms angry? Because something's wrong, and because she wants to like fix it. She wants to, like wants her kids to be better people, yeah. and wants like the world to be better towards her kids, and wants her 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 spouse mm-hmm. to like also like I don't know. It's like all of these tropes are about us being passionate and about us wanting a better world and trying to fix it. Yeah, that was that's that's awesome, and that's actually like I identify with that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I. People people attribute it to their astrology science these days, but I don't. I, I mean, for I'm like cool with astrology, but like at the end of the day, like all Same. of my things are because I am 
I really do believe that like the reason I am the way I am is because my faith and my culture has pointed me in the direction of justice, has pointed me in the direction of like having big emotions and, yeah. and being okay with that and using that for good. Wow, we have so much in common. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Um, so when we talk about anti-Semitism uh -huh. um, and how it, um, you know, and we're not gonna, we're not gonna get into, it's not even worth getting into like the conversation of anti-Semitism as it relates to anti-Zionism because, you know, I think Whatever, that we've, we are, right, we've moved on from we've that. On. I think that we more need to talk about anti-Semitism as it relates to intersectionality and mm -hmm. about how... So you're talking what, about anti-Semitism on the left? Well, not even on the left, but more just what, how, how it, um, how Jews are accepted into social circles and to intersect. We have like white Jews have conditional whiteness because and, well, it's of course, of because all of it is based. It all has like a basis in white supremacy. Oh yeah, and I mean in the same way any issue can like feminism, like the white feminism conversation, mm -hmm. and like white LGBTQ plus. You know, because like just because just because you belong to one marginalized identity doesn't mean you're not an asshole. To oh, of course, you know, right, like, right. Racist, racist, and sexist white gays are like a huge problem in the in all of our communities. Sure, yeah. So I guess like what do you like? I guess like what I'm what I want to uh, what I want to discuss is how is what Jewish people as as uh, uh, as an as an oppressed community as as a marginalized community what we need from other communities. Like what we want to see, um, but also what we need to do mm -hmm. more of mm -hmm. for them. Okay, it's like, it's like just like it is not on, it's not on queer people to solve homophobia, or it's not on queer people to solve transphobia or queerphobia in general. Right. It's not on Jews to solve anti-Semitism. You know, we are just trying to live our lives and like sure we can be better people in the ways that we relate to other communities, just like everybody can. Um, it's not up to us to solve it, you know? It's up to our allies to like see us as whole people. Yeah. And to separate the issues, you know, and I think like what do I want from what do I want from from my non-Jewish friends, and what do I want? Why, what do I want is allyship. Um, I don't want to feel stigmatized for having like a religious connection to something that's not Christianity, um, yeah. or like having a spirituality that connects to each and every part of my life. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. That's one thing, but I guess that that also applies to people of other marginalized faith because when we see like Christianity pop up in our society because of Christian hegemony, it's normal. Right. Like seeing a cross in someone's home is not like oh like this is like a weird spiritual thing that's right. like happening in my presence. It's like oh someone's a, you know a Christian whatever it's in the background. Yeah, for sure. You know it's 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 stuff like that. Um, I think also understanding our fear that people like a lot of the time in college when in like 2016, 2017, um, I was really really afraid for a lot of that time. Um, yeah with synagogues being vandalized and cemeteries like I, I remember my one of my roommates in college when there was the string of, of cemeteries being vandalized 
did not understand the deep, deep pain of that in me. You didn't understand my fear around that. They're like, oh, but it's like a cemetery. Like, no one's coming after a lot of people. No one's coming to kill you. Like, someone's vandalizing. It, it's, it's fine. Like, you fix it. Um, but the way that we honor our dead and the way that we honor the legacy of, of people who have come before us, like, it hits, like, the way to, to rock a Jewish community and say, you are not stable, you are not safe, is to go after our cemeteries, mm -hmm. you know? Um, not, no one understood that. Um, right. And they also didn't understand that just because it wasn't happening in my neighborhood, not in my city, not yeah. in my community, like, it's still so, so, so scary. Yeah, uh, on that note, like, there's definitely a, something that reminds me of that is how, like, also how we've talked about gun, gun violence in our communities. Like, before, like, like I mean, as, like, the, the mass shootings have occurred, like, over the years and as, you know, people are struggling to, like, not be desensitized by it. It's like, we have to act. We have to like, you know, prevent this from happening again. You know, a lot of us will still have it in our mind that it's like, well, like that'd be so scary if that happened in my community. Like, but, but like Jews but, seeing it, Jews seeing it in Jewish communities halfway around the world, it hits home. Oh yeah. And, and on that note, like, it's like, we've still thought, oh, I feel like it's just so in people's minds where it's like, oh, we're in a pretty safe neighborhood. That stuff doesn't happen here. But no, one of my friends got shot recently, a couple months ago. There was also, like, very shortly after that, there was a shooting at the Miramar Theater, right down the street. These yeah. things, like, I, there's gunshots that I hear, like, from time to time in this neighborhood. Like, gun violence is fucking all over the place. Yeah. And no matter- I think the way that, like, it's, it's going to affect everyone, and I think for the Jewish community right now, the, um, the question is whether or not we're going to work with cops. Oh yeah, right. And because I think in, in Jewish communities, I think that anti-violence movements and anti-violence rhetoric is really common in Jewish communities. Mm -hmm. um, and that yes, there are a lot, there are a lot of Jews, just like there are a lot of people in all different kinds of, of intersectional um, places and people of marginalized identities who are prone to violence and who don't care about the, like, the teachings of our communities and, like, and, and will go to those places. But I think that as a community that's been hard hit by gun violence, as victims of gun violence, yeah. um, and gun violence being directed towards us, it's right. our, like, having cops in our spaces is not making them safer. It's making them more dangerous mm -hmm. for all of us. Right. Um, especially for Jews of color who already face a lot of racism exactly. in our communities. Yeah. Like walking into shul and being asked like, oh, are you new here? Are you converting? Who's your friend? Right. Like X, Y, Z. The microaggressions the that micro they face that, day by day. And like, even like that, that it's, it's just explicit racism to like, yeah. you know, um, to yeah, other than like right off the bat, right off the bat. Um, when a Jew is a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. All right. Yeah. And having cops in our spaces does not make that any better. It makes right. it worse. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of momentum in, um, in the Jewish community right now to be anti-gun. 
um, and to be pro-gun reform, I don't think that's being coupled with enough like community resource to keep us safe from gun violence. And we resort to having cops outside of our schools, outside of synagogue, during high holidays, during services, X, Y, Z. When- It's like, yeah, just like, um, sorry. Yeah, no, I think there's, there's just a wealth of community resource outside of collaborating with the police force that is going to be helpful that we're not tapping into. Yeah, I mean, just like, it's like when I was at the Western Wall, it's like a bunch of IDF soldiers with assault rifles didn't make me feel safe. It's like, know, like the, I think it's a the, very different dynamic in the United States. Oh, yeah, of course. And I think like focusing on the United States. Um, but point being is like people, somebody who is in a position of, of authority with a gun doesn't make me feel safe, even if yeah. they're there to keep I me safe. I would rather the mosque next, next door to my synagogue have guns and stand outside during services. I would rather have the Sikh temple down the street come and and be armed outside the synagogue. Or even like a um, a church, a Christian church that we have a good relationship with. I would rather they stand outside. Um, I would like I mean I want I want to be the person who says no guns are necessary and just having a presence right. there will help because it will. Just having people standing outside who are not Jewish will decrease the amount of shootings at synagogues and will decrease the amount of violence that synagogues see. Um, yeah. But a lot of people are also also say like, oh, and, and arm them as well. I don't, I don't want to arm anybody. So, right, yeah, I agree. I guess like um, when it comes to anti-Semitism on the left, like I guess like mm-hmm. what do you have to say about... I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what Judaism is. I think... Um, and I, like, I don't speak for all Jews. I don't think any Jew can speak for all Jews. We can only speak for ourselves because it is so, we are such a diverse community and because we value disagreement as a cornerstone of our community. Right. Um, I think the conflation of Israel and Judaism has a huge, huge role That's to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're not the same thing. Right. Um, as we touched on before, so not to deep beat a dead horse um and i think also is I people just not understanding judaism right. i think the assimilation that jews have gone through like that third branch of like people assimilating out of fear has hurt the jewish community and then when we try to reconnect it's being misconstrued as something on the right because the public image of what is judaism is a lot of this like right wing like even anti-zionist orthodox jews like talking about um very insular, segregated Jewish communities of um, like Hasidic Jews who get a really bad name because there are a lot of really amazing Hasidic Jews. But I think the the misconstrued notion that Judaism is insular feeds off of patriarchy, feeds into patriarchy. Um, that like like thinking about Judaism as like this controlling black hat. There's also like all of the like Jews control the world and Jews control the oh, media. Right, yeah. That comes from comes directly from like protocols of the elders of Zion, like early like like anti-Semitic propaganda. Yeah. That right. continue to exist in the left. That it, we're being villainized for like having roles in the media when the reason like why Hollywood was created was because Jews weren't allowed to have any other jobs. And then McCarthyism came in, we weren't allowed to be in the media. And like all the other things that 
you know, like, Jews trying to survive has always been turned into Jews trying to control the world. Yeah. And that continues, we continue to see those tropes on the right and on the left. Well, yeah, and I, I agree. And I think part of that is, like, another part of it is um, sort of what you were saying about how, like, it's very misunderstood, like, the, the extent to which anti-Semitism still exists is that we constantly, like, our plight gets minimized a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Like, people will openly ask, like, oh, like, are Jews even really being oppressed? Exactly. Like, I don't, I don't see it. Because all they see, because all they see is, like, this conditional whiteness of white Jews and right. how white Jews are succeeding, often in ways that are antithetical to Jewish, uh, Jewish culture and Jewish religion and Jewish ethic. Um, and, and they continue to build these, these tropes of Jews control the world, Jews control the money, Jews control the banks. Like, the whole, like, Jews control the banks comes from, like, Christians, the church said Christians can't, and Christian Catholics can't touch money, can't control the money. So they put Jews in it, and then they villainize that job. Mm-hmm. So the Jews continue to be the villain, because we were doing money. But we couldn't get any other jobs, because those jobs were holier, and those jobs were like we and like the evil Jews with the money and it's this circular like we can't put ourselves in fields where like there's no such thing as a good Jew. There will never be such anything as a good Jew in the eyes of the world. Right, yeah. Like and even if there's like there's these good Jews then they're always going to be bad Jews, you yeah, know? Right. And it's always going to be built on these stereotypes and all of and like the, the ways that we've been villainized. I feel like we've and I'm def- you might have at some point too like I feel like I've sort of, like, internalized it a lot, and, like, I'll even, you know, yeah. be complicit we, in that, yeah, too, where it's, like, internalized anti-Semitism. where it's, like, anytime there's anything related to, like, a Jew, like, being, like, frugal about money, or being, like, something to do with money, I'm always, like, I've even been, like, oh, there's such a Jew, you know, like. Yeah. but also, like, turning, turning things, like, the shooting at um, Tree of Life Synagogue or the Parkland shooting. Parkland shooting was directed at Jews. There was a swastika carved into that boy's gun. Like, that was, the majority of the victims were Jewish or perceived to be Jewish. That was an anti-Semitic attack. And so was the Tree of Life shooting. We turned that conversation into gun reform and gun control before we talk about anti-Semitism. Because we've been conditioned to think that anti-Semitism is not as bad. That us as Jews have to make up for the fact that we're Jewish by putting other people first and putting other other justice movements before our own safety and mm-hmm. equality and yeah. dignity. How do you... Were you finished? Yeah. Oh, uh, how do you feel about what happened with like the dyke march with the pride flag the that's, i think that's just going back into like anti-zionism and the, the misunderstanding of uh, conflating israel and um and zionism and uh israel and judaism and judaism and zionism um yeah that, i think that's yeah. like the same that's the same issue back where we were and i don't I, like i am it's just it's it's a lot more complicated it's a lot more nuanced and i think it's really nuanced on all sides of this and not listening to each other is where yeah, it's coming right, from. Right, yeah. Um, I, yeah, totally. And and there was I can be better and I can learn and and maybe my views on my personal views on that will change as I continue to learn and unlearn. Um, I saw like Vice did this um this panel conversation thing with different people from the LGBTQ plus community where they talked about this issue and just kind of exchanged 
their viewpoints on it, and I, I'm curious to hear how you feel. Um, how do you feel about the term queer? I love it. You do? Because you don't think it's like a degrading when other people that aren't, that don't identify as queer use it. I think it's different to say like, like, oh, you fucking queer. And so be like, and be like the queer community. We've like reclaimed the word. Um, and I know there are people who are uncomfortable with it and they'd rather say LGBTQ, Q being questioning instead of queer. Um, I think that is, that is valuable. For me, it gets complicated because the people I see in my life, it becomes, turns into identity alphabet soup and the umbrella term of queer is great. I also use the umbrella term of gay. I know a lot of people in my life who are much more uncomfortable with the umbrella term of gay to mean all people in the LGBTQIA plus and plus yeah. and so on community as opposed to queer. Um, like I have, I have a friend who will, for days and days and days, who like shows up to my to my queer Bible study, and if I like describe the group as gay, they will say queer, because like there's, it's just intercommunal dialogue. Right. Yeah. Which we know very well happens in the Jewish community a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I like it. I feel like it's more inclusive. Okay. It, it does. I think queer encompasses this idea that yes, like the norm is like heterosexuality and and being right. cisgender. Yeah. Like hetero and cis normativity make us the strange ones, make us queer. Mm-hmm. And that's good to always I think it's a good thing to always be challenging the system because like heteronormativity and cisnormativity are damaging. Of course. Yeah. And we, we were talking before off camera like about cultures all over the world. Um, have acknowledged an expansive sexual, like expensive sexual um, spectrum and gender spectrum, right. and even like body, like sex-wise spectrum, yeah. um, it's all for spectrum. millennia. For like, and it's only until recently, in the advent of like Christian imperialism, <laughs> that so many, like that the entire world yeah. is all like, oh, there are only two genders, and like you can yeah. only be. And like heterosexuality is because putting us in classes makes it easier to control us. It does. It makes us easier to control, and it, and it makes anyone on the out. Like it makes the other evil. Yeah, exactly. And instead of it all yeah. being part of this like conglom- like conglomeration right. of human experience. Um, yeah. And if the norm is being cisgendered, being hetero. Like, yes, I am queer, I am weird, I am strange, I'm not going to, like, I'm going to break that. Because mm-hmm. that's not the experience of the grand majority of people in my life. For sure. Like, it doesn't, like, the prescriptive nature of of this society yeah. doesn't serve us. It sounds like it depends a lot on the context, where it's like, it's a reclamation, it's a word of reclamation. Like, I would call myself a dyke, I would call myself a faggot, I would call myself, um... Like, even sometimes, like, in Jewish stuff, I'll call myself a kike as, like, a joke, you know? Right, yeah. And that's for me to say. And exactly, and not for other not community. Not So, but, and, like, so do you, you don't believe, like, you don't personally get uncomfortable when somebody who doesn't identify with the LGBTQ plus community uses the word queer to describe... The community? Yeah. Being, like, the queer community? No, I'm not. I'm not okay. upset about that. Well, and, like, it's, like, like you said, where someone could use it in a degrading way, the same way somebody could Say describe... Gay. Well, or they could describe, oh, you fucking Jew. Like, yeah. d- describe, say a yeah. word 
in a degrading way. Mm-hmm. It's like that's the context there. It's like yeah. the really funny phenomenon on like on the internet when we talk about like Jews, even secular Jews or atheist Jews, like who are celebrities, and this is their parents are Jewish. They come from a Jewish heritage. Like, mm-hmm. just call them a Jew. Like right. they are Jewish. Right. Even saying like they are Jewish or they are a Jew, easy enough, yeah. you know. But saying like, oh, their parents are Jewish. They come from Jewish heritage. Like it's not about being queer. Is not a bad thing. Right. Right. And it's just, it's yeah. It's about uh, owning your identity, being proud of it, being able to mm-hmm. express it, um, which everyone has the the God given right to do. Um, mm-hmm. So. Um, how uh, so? I know that you uh, lead queer Bible study mm-hmm. um, out in California, mm-hmm. back home. So, what uh, I guess like you said that. So, what is it teaching you? What is it teaching? Or like what? Yeah. What? Is, how are you finding? Uh, I guess like how are you finding meaning? Because I feel like there's such a negative connotation that comes with the Bible, and mm-hmm. and I want to I want to hear your experience with. Yeah. Like, how you are, I guess, like, processing what you're studying. Yeah, it's like, so the Bible's really gay. First off, 100%. The Bible's really gay. The, um, the, <laughs> the, the founder of Sfara, um, which is a, a, queer, a queer yeshiva, um, says, if a donkey were to read the Bible, the donkey would notice every single story about a donkey. Mm-hmm. As queer people reading the Bible, we notice every single queer thing. Because it's, it relates to our experience as queer people. Um, and as someone, I've never gone through the entirety of scripture, um, myself. I grew up really assimilated. Um, a lot of people also did, like, even, like, one of, one of my friends who comes to my Bible study, who's, like, in seminary to be a pastor, has not read the entire Bible, you know? Like, it's just not something that you usually do. And as queer people reclaiming it and being like, we are going to put our commentary on it, we are going to examine it, fumble through it, it's been a really beautiful and healing experience. Um, understanding where like like already like chapter twenty eight. There's a song I learned um, that is that is based on one of the verses. I was like, oh, like that's that's where this like beautiful song that's really involved, like really helped me ground myself in Judaism comes from. Um, being able to identify where those things are, being able to have like biblical literacy has been really really fun for me. Like we're only through we're only. 28 chapters deep in Genesis and I feel like I am so much more biblically literate already and I can have those conversations people are like isn't the Bible like gross and XYZ um it's helping me like create my own commentary um and a lot of the times like our our conversations devolve into just like talking about our lives as queer people yeah right and even if it's just a time to this is like a structured time where people know they can show up and be unapologetically themselves as people of faith and as as queer folks um, has been fun. And um, what else have I learned? I don't know. I think one of the one of the things that's really been on my mind as I do this is thinking about the characterization of God and what the narrative is there about who God is, what God is, why God is, how God is, all of the above. Um, it's really fun thinking about God as a child. This like kid who's just like running around trying to do the right thing is often fucking up. Yeah. And needs help, needs guidance. And like sometimes we're the parent who's holding God's hand as God is this like, young in. Yeah. And like and how that role reversal like switches and how sometimes like God is the parent, we are the child. And how we can simultaneously do all of that. And like 
creating a more expansive way of understanding understanding God and divinity and whatever name you want to give it mm-hmm. um, give that like a spark and essence or the many names that we do in Judaism I love that oh that's awesome mm-hmm. well, good for you. that's, that's great I imagine uh, it's a real uh, it's a good uh, mm-hmm. release from uh, working at Starbucks oh, we, we were talking about this a little bit before we started mm-hmm. recording um, uh, being trans in and applying for jobs. Mm-hmm. You, that has been a huge uh, obstacle for you. Yeah, I put my pronouns on my resume because, like, I feel like I need to do myself justice in that way. Um, and because it feels more degrading to spring it on someone in a, in a, um, in an interview. My pronouns mm-hmm. are they, them, theirs. And a lot of people don't know how to use them, even though everyone uses them every yeah, single day. right, yeah. Um... They, them, theirs, like the singular they has been around in the English language longer than the singular you. Mm-hmm. You were the first non-binary person I met, actually. <laughs> um, first week of sophomore year, uh, you were the first person I ever met that uh, introduced themselves as they, them, there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's crazy how, like, because, like, for the first year, like, I knew you. Like, I used to mess your pronouns up all the time. And you would... You know, you would correct me, and you know, you you, but you would always say like, "It's okay, you're trying, and that's what matters." Yeah, and for I, me, that that is what matters is like is the right is the attempt. At some point, it's like, if you had taken any longer getting my pronouns down, I would have been absolutely done with you. Like that's oh like, yeah, you know, like at some point, it's the adjustment periods. The adjustment like, period, yeah. like you were not trying. Right, if and at this point, and at this point, like I have so many non-binary friends where it's become so normalized where it's like it's not even it's something that is well adjusted and like and but the thing is is like another thing is how you readily correct people when they do misgender you mm-hmm. i know plenty of non-binary people that are afraid of doing that because they're afraid they don't like don't drawing have attention we don't, to know, we don't have agency in those in those spaces yeah. because and that's like and i think that's that's another reason why i'm not like i have applied to dozens and dozens and dozens of places not only in the jewish community but also like in jewish community work where i like want to spend the rest of my life and this is the work, the work i want to do but also yeah. in just like service jobs and in like working at like i applied to like what was it a hundred different starbucks in southern california and i got called back from three of them mm-hmm. um i don't think that's because my resume doesn't reflect that i'm Capable, qualified, qualified and capable. Yeah. Uh, even in like the Jewish community, I think I, I definitely have, I definitely have the skills. I've been organizing in the Jewish community for going on like seven, eight years now, and my pronouns are on my resume. And at the two, I've only gotten two interviews from like the fifty or so places I've sent resumes to. Um, in the Jewish professional world, I've gotten two interviews, and in both of them, they brought out my pronouns, they're like, oh, what's this on your resume? It says they, them, theirs. And I'd be like, those are my pronouns. Um, I, like, and, and then it turns into a conversation about gender theory and about gender and about how that right. works, and then also how that relates back into Judaism and how Judaism recognizes six different genders and how, like... <laughs> yeah, it's like opening Pandora's box. It's, it opens Pandora's box, but it also closes the conversation to my competency and my ability to yeah. do those jobs. Right. Um, and then basically the response I get is, I'm uncomfortable, I don't know how to use this, I don't want to put in the effort to 
to learn how to use those pronouns, we're not ready as a community. We can't give you this job. Damn. That's the, that, and it, it, it's, that's horrible. And I imagine yeah. that gets so tiresome. I am so burnt out. Like I, I was so, I spent four months not applying to non-Jewish community jobs. I was living at home. I was incredibly depressed. I kept getting rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection yeah. and working so, so hard. And I gave up and I started applying to non-community jobs. And then that came back as nothing and nothing and nothing. Um, I believe sincerely, 100%, it's because I'm trans. And it's because my pronouns are on my resume and people don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the qualifications. I graduated summa cum laude. Right. I, gra- I have an honors degree. I. Is I, You're the reason I passed a class. You yeah. Know that? yeah. <laughs> like I, I have been involved in Jewish community organizing for so many years. I have been involved in volunteer work and interfaith work, and I held jobs. And like I can, sh- I have shown my. I think I've shown my competency Very in many, much so. many ways. You deserve way better. Mm-hmm. You deserve, and you, and I know that you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's like it's a lot of society that is still refusing to adapt, mm-hmm. um, which like I want sucks. my I want my transness to live as like as the framework, but not the lens. The framework of my life are like the things that I hold, like my fatness and my queerness, and like. But my the main lens of my life is Judaism. I try like this is. This is who I am and how I live. Like I want to be a rabbi. I want to have a career that's based in around this work. And I think that it is. It, it's a it's a good like just like you, Christians are allowed to live their lives and have the other things and like be able to live their life through a Christian lens. I want to live my life through a Jewish lens and um, have my queerness be an integral part of the framework um, that helps uplift that and hold it and like is a foundation of mine. But not necessarily the thing I talk about every day or have to engage with like validating myself every day you know like I wear three different pronoun pins and a trans flag pin at work I get misgendered every, mm-hmm. every day at least every five minutes you know right especially Fun. and which is unfortunate because also it's Starbucks it's a company that mm-hmm. prides it's itself in Malibu I work right. at the Starbucks in Malibu yeah in Southern California on the beach, you know, like the place is supposed to be super progressive and like sure it's full of like rich people, but like, which has its own. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like shenanigans. We can do another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But like, uh, like in, in a place that's supposed to be super progressive and like on it, I get misgendered every five minutes at work by my, by my coworkers, by my, um, Customers by like higher ups who like come in like the district manager. I remember we had an old district manager and she came up to me and she was like, "What are they up to today?" I'm like, "Who?" She's like, "I'm like working." And she's trying to like understand like what I'm doing and like and, like try to like help me work better in my environment. Like, what are they up to today? And I'm like, "Who? Who you want to know?" Like, no, like what are they up to? Do you mean what am I up to? What are you up to, Amanda? And she. Yeah, what are they up to? And I'm like, oh, oh my, my god. god. Like Jesus. 
you are the district manager. There are so many trans people who work in your district. You are in literally Los Angeles, California. Yeah, wow. What the yeah. hell? You know, like I was also raised in the general conscious of what's like of course. conscious of what's going right, on. Right, right, right. We all we all have that unlearning. Like what's going yeah. on in my head and like the implicit bias and the gendering that I'm unlearning still happens within myself. Do I accidentally misgender people every once in a while? Yes, but it's not because I'm like a shitty person who like wants to wants to misgender them. It's I am unlearning gender bias. I am unlearning cis normativity mm-hmm. and the binary within myself. And like sometimes I misgender myself. And I'm, like, and I'm like, oh, yeah. whoa. Isn't like, it amazing how like crazy like that, just how much that is so instilled in us where it's like you can be so, you know, well versed in, you know, in identity. Theory. Yeah, in, in theory and identity, but still find yourself like struggling struggling yeah that's 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 like a really like that that's a real thing um and that's something that especially like you know it's why i say like you know us to varying degrees we can always be doing better and i say that especially because like because i'm a white cisgender like male that never knew any of these things or never really like had any there was a point in my life where I didn't know any of those things. Right, right. It's like how we can, it's like how um, much in, and just just how much miseducation uh, there is about allyship growing up, um, which I, I've been seeing that, you know, more and more there's LGBTQ plus issues being taught in schools, which is which is awesome, which just needs to become a thing everywhere. Um, and I'm, it will be one day. People of these genders that have been using these pronouns and have had all of these varying identities are nothing new. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, we were dealing with the exact same issues in the queer community. Like Reed Stone Butch Blues. Um, and like non-binary people, trans people, have always been around. It's just that, I don't know. Yes, things have gotten better, but the whole like, oh, like people of of other generations or parents and grandparents generations, like it's it's understandable they don't get it. No, it's not. I'm saying like- Like, It's not understandable at all. Like people like like me existed all that time ago. I feel like it just wasn't nearly as talked about. Um, Because it was being repressed. Well, you know, I, well, I mean, like, well, so, so social media and like technology has made it easier for us to talk yeah. about it, um, which I think is is the, why there has been merit to how much of that um, progress has been made in mm-hmm. that. Because, but but like if, if, if but if, it doesn't excuse it. I mean, it doesn't excuse it. If you can get with the times on literally anything from using a phone to, um, like, uh, like people went from having home phones that were like on a wall to having it in your pocket and how that changes and like the ritual of charging it every night and the like the way that you engage with that technology has changed entirely if someone who is a boomer can get used to using different technologies you can get used to treating people with dignity right you can get used to like 
asking people for their pronouns, regardless of how they present. You can get used to the daily rituals of being a kind and decent person to queer people. Yeah. You can learn. If you can learn anything, you can also learn to like not be shitty to queer and, folks. And I think we came full circle. With this, <laughs> uh, it comes out of the radical empathy. Radical empathy. That is within us. Um, some of us will find it earlier than others, but... If you have any empathy in yourself, reach out to another person and help them do it more. Yeah. Because together we're going to build a world of compassion. Like, we're going to build a world that comes out of love and empathy and wanting the best not only for our neighbor who's sitting across the table from us, but the neighbor who is across the world from us. Mm -hmm. And when we can take everyone into consideration with that much intention, we will have a better world. Do better, y'all. Do better. Like, you can do better. <laughs> do better. We both can we both ourselves. I can do better. Like, there I, are things that I know I'm going to look back at this interview in, like, 10 years and be like, holy fuck. Like, oh, I yeah, same. I'm, al I'm already doing that. I've been doing this show for less than a year. Yeah, I'm still like, doing it. Like, uh, by all means. Like, I am not the better. best person I can be right now. And neither am I. You know, but we're... It's, Here's to getting better. Yes. <laughs> okay. Hi, Dana. Hi, hi. Uh, wow, this was, uh, this was uh, a lot to unpack. <laughs> but uh, I think that uh, we, we nailed some points. Uh, what do you think? Uh, did, you, did you have... Uh, you, you air some stuff out? Yeah, I think I'd, I feel like I could have... I can, I can always do better at explaining the things I was trying to do. I still have a lot of Same learning to though. do. Again, gonna look back on this in a year and be like, "Oh, I'm I'm the same way though." Like, I sometimes I'll look at look back at like when I'm when I'm editing this, I'm like, "Fuck, why did why did I, why did I say why that? did I say why why did it why was it so hard to find words for this and shit?" You know, but you know, we're we're imperfect, we're fallible. Um, so Dana, what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? Um, climate change. Climate. That. Change. Um, we probably won't get the chance to retire in our lives. We're probably going to die of climate genocide first. That keeps me up at night. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn. Like, we, like, like, I don't know. That's, that's lately. That and, um, that and general anxieties about my life. I don't know. That's real. Um, what puts you to sleep though? Mm, that's not camera appropriate. <laughs> uh, everything flies. Um, it's been um, said before. <laughs> uh, what puts me to bed? I think the the notion that like a better world is possible. Like we are in, we are entitled to building a better world, um, and we are building a better world. Yes, we are. It's our um, obligation for not only ourselves but for those coming after us. Mm -hmm. And I think you're be doing beautiful work, and you're a beautiful Thank you. human. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for being on the show. Bye, folks. <laughs> Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time.